Today's message comes to us from two places uh, in the Bible. Our first passage we're going to look at is 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through uh, 13. And our second passage will come from the, uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. I'm going to read those to you now, and then after that we're going to talk about them a little bit. 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Our second reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I want to start today with a little bit of a, of a peek behind the scenes. 
Now, you might not know this, but a typical sermon actually has a very particular structure to it, a form that's been kind of shaped and developed by pastors over centuries so that it can function in a very unique, very specific way. Now, usually, a sermon will open with an anecdote of some kind, often, but not always an amusing one. Got to get people to laugh, right? Uh, And that will act as sort of a, a grounding, a touchstone that the preacher can keep returning to so that they can connect the the kind of higher-minded rhetoric of what's coming with something that more closely resembles the everyday experiences of the people to whom they're preaching. This grounding makes it possible for listeners to kind of take uh, a sort of cognitive leap, to move from the more active, kind of spiritual, and indeed very ritual aspects of the worship service that's surrounding the sermon, and settle into a place of introspection and self-reflection. So the preacher will often keep coming back to that anecdote during the sermon, throughout the whole sermon, keep drawing connections between it and the chosen biblical passage, and again and again and again doing this until they've made clear whatever point it is they feel that the Spirit has called them to make in this particular time and place. Problem is... uh, This sermon series that I've started doing with you all lately, these these casual sermons, they don't take place in the middle of a worship service. So that kind of mental transitioning isn't honestly all that necessary. And what's more, most of you who are listening today, you haven't come to church for that experience of spiritual comfort and reassurance that so many look for from a church service. In point of fact, I'd be willing to bet that out of the many handfuls of people who might actually listen to this sermon... I may well be the only one who's actually in a church at this exact moment. (laughs) I know with our community, there's a number of reasons, good reasons for that to be the case. Some of us are just overloaded with medical concerns and are spending every waking moment fighting and clawing our way back towards health through a system that won't support it. So (laughs) we don't have time to sit in a half-empty Sanctuary, just for a message we could easily watch on YouTube later. Uh, Others of us uh, are at work. Because if we're fortunate enough to even get an hour's break from our labors, it makes absolutely no sense to spend that time amongst people who are just going to judge us for our poverty in a place that'll never lift a finger to help. And others still, like, just don't see the point. I mean, why... Would we spend our time sitting around in idle worship and praise when there are hungry people to be fed, homeless people to be housed, oppressed to be uplifted, and prisoners to be set free? And as for the rest of us, well, quite a lot of us have long been told that we are not welcome in church in the first place. Many of us, honestly, would like to have that time of peaceful meditation and worship and learning in our week But we have either been explicitly or implicitly told that this place is not our place, that God's house is not our house, and that we cannot be who God made us, not if we mean to walk through those hollow doors. Some of us have taken those rejections quite understandably to heart and left the church. Others of us, like myself, have gotten a bit more indignant about it and have decided to dedicate ourselves to fighting back, to reclaiming some small measure of space within the community, not just for ourselves, but for all of those who have been by social condition or explicit rejection pushed out of the community of God. 
So we, we take up the banner of God's justice, firm in our scriptural conviction that the church must be open to all. Welcoming. Welcoming is the word I hear used most of all by, by these churches who have at least started trying to make room among themselves for these groups that have historically been unable to find a home in the community. And like, I'm not going to lie. It's been a fight, hasn't it? I mean, how many of us have found ourselves locked in discussions, arguments, even screaming matches with the people of our communities fighting for just that one scrap of presence, that single brief moment of divine acceptance that's summed up in that shining word, welcome. And it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. In the, in the words of aspiring theologian Jack Crusher, we all long for connection, even though we're all just a little bit alone. But in, in scrapping tooth and nail for that bit of connection, I, I start to wonder if our desperation to take hold of that welcome, which God's church must indeed ought to afford to everyone without consideration, I wonder if that might have blinded us to a greater calling that has been placed on all of God's people. Consider today's story, the, the calling of King David by the prophet Samuel. Now, at the time of this story, and we often forget this, uh, Israel already had a king, King Saul. And Saul wasn't just any king. He was the king. He had risen his people to greatness, led them through war and struggle, and despite being followed by the far better known line of his rival, Saul is generally regarded as the first real monarch of the United Kingdom of Israel. He is the unifier himself. And at this point in time, he is still the king, ruling from his throne in the capital city of Gibeah of Benjamin. Before the beginning of today's story, though, he started to break away from the guidance of the prophet Saul and started performing his own sacrifices to God, waging war against Israel's enemies in his own way, making certain compromises that would result in greater resources and power coming to the throne, to Saul himself. So after a bit of back and forth, God rejected Saul as king, withdrew divine support from his kingship, and instructed Samuel to seek out the next person that God had already chosen for kingship, for rulership over the entire United Kingdom of God's people. And that brings us today to the city of Bethlehem and what would, in a still distant time, come to be known as Judea, and the home of Jesse and his many sons. Now, God has already told Samuel that among the great number of Jesse's sons, they'll find the one who God has chosen as king. And so begins the presentation. Both Samuel the prophet and Jesse of Bethlehem, they think they know what God is looking for in a king. In fact, they both thought Eliab, presumably Jesse's eldest, was God's chosen king based solely on appearance. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel listens, because of course he does, and he goes back to checking through the list of sons. And God rejects each and every one of them on similar grounds, and it eventually comes out that Jesse might have stacked the deck just a little bit and left his youngest out of the presentation. I mean, after all, his, his youngest is the sheep keeper. He doesn't know anything about the appearance of power <coughs> and the prestige 
He doesn't know anything about the fine arts of kingly presentation or fine speech. And yeah, I really may have been handsome. It was more in a kind of rough and ruddy sort of way, and not in any way that spoke of refinement. So when the time came for Jesse's family to come together and meet with Samuel to decide who next would be king, young David had been quietly shown the door, left out in the fields doing the work that needed to be done, while the rest of the family gathered together in their Sunday best to strut and preen for power. Sound familiar? Look, I think we all tend to get so lost in what we think is right, careful, and above all, safe, that we can lose sight of just how undeniably radical our God truly is. Our God doesn't care for those who look the part, those who you might expect to set the course for the entire church. Our God doesn't look to what has been as a map for what is to come. Our God doesn't come to Jesse's house looking for Saul the warrior. God comes looking for David the shepherd. David, David the, the non-traditionally attractive. David the conspicuously absent. David the outcaring for the sheep instead of embracing sanctity, sacrifice, and kingly appearance. David the quietly unwelcome. David the king. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention such what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. This is the truth that Samuel needed to figure out in this moment, the truth that Paul communicated so eloquently to the church in Ephesus and which most of us are still wrestling with today. What is pleasing to the Lord isn't the secret shameful lusts of the proud and the powerful trying to grasp at authority by mimicking the greatness they think preceded them impersonating the last leader who failed to live up to the expectations of righteousness. Remember, Jesse didn't proudly or clearly proclaim his intention to leave David out of the selection process. He just quietly showed him the door, asserting his own will above the Lord's by sending David out to the fields without so much as a care as to whether this ruddy little boy might actually be the great king that God had already chosen to lead God's people into the future. But when the, the powerful falter and fail, when the, the prideful like Saul place their own desire for power and control above the word of the Lord, when the well-meaning like Jesse and their determination turn away from those who tradition and practice tell them could not possibly be welcome in God's house, let alone called to lead it, God says otherwise. In the world today, the powerful of the church have faltered, fallen, and failed. Nearly every denomination of the universal church has been divided over the sins of powerful men, screaming into the world their hateful rhetoric and determined insistence that not everyone is welcome in the house of the Lord, that some folks are, in fact, ruddy-faced and unwanted, unnecessary, before the obvious kingship of better, truer Christians. And at the same time, the entire LGBTQIA community, the poor, the immigrants, the refugees, the prisoners, the widows, and all the broken of the world are sent away from the sanctuary to scour the fields in search of lost sheep. There we find still more of the lost and vulnerable in every crack and crevice into which they might have retreated. And we form together in spaces of fellowship and community, gathering together in candlelight and starlight, a church of table scraps, 
while Jesse's lineage sacrifices and feasts in the painted halls of old. Royalty in exile all, ordained by God, not just to be welcomed grudgingly into a community that just happened to incidentally remember their existence, but the next phase in the evolution of Christ's body in action here on earth. My, my dearest siblings in Christ, who the churches and temples of the world have called unworthy and insufficient, my incredible friends who are who the powerful and the privileged have ignored and forgot while pursuing an image of piety and perfection that God never asked for and which is unappealing in the sight of the Lord, beloved of Christ. God has not called you to be welcome. God has ordained you king. God has ordained you queen. God has ordained you leader and ruler, the standard by which the next stage of our institutions of faith at work in this world will be measured. And in the presence of your siblings, fathers and mothers, and all those who thought they knew what church must necessarily be for now and for always, God has anointed you, and the Spirit of the Lord shall come mightily upon you all from this day forward. So as you go out into the world, knowing that God doesn't care to uplift yet another of the same failed king that the divine just turned away from, knowing that God sets the future by looking to those on the outside, looking to those who others have rejected and cast aside, knowing that our God reaches for that cornerstone that all the builders refuse, you can go secure in the knowledge that you are not only welcome, but empowered, not only invited, but encouraged, not only sought after, but looked to as an example of the divine's first best choice to lead. So take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, the shady dealings of the powerful and the privileged who came before. But instead, commit yourself to exposing them all. For what they do in secret is shameful, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible, made clean in the light once again. Grasp firmly the authority given you in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Lord God, our creator, the maker of heaven and earth, know the full measure of your value to God. Let your compassion guide us all into a season that truly and better reflects an earth that may yet be as it is in heaven. God has sent for you all, and the people of the Lord will not sit down again until you've come home once more. Amen. Amen.